for me that he forgot. He did it first service, forgotten second service here. Uh, 13 years ago, this Sunday, this church was planted. So we are officially a teenager in the faith. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. So where we're going this morning is talking about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. The transforming power to grow us up from a newborn to a baby to a child to a teenager to hopefully one day a parent spiritually, and then if we can make it to the end, an elder, where we can not only feed ourselves, but we're healthy enough and mature enough in the faith to be able to help others have what we have in Jesus. And so we're 13 years underway here as a church, and uh, on our way to growing up and becoming more and more mature in Jesus to help the lost get found and the found live free. So excited, yeah, you can clap for that. James is excited to be here. Yeah. James is a buddy of mine um, from Crossroads Wasion who has an awesome testimony of transformation. Just, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago, tw- 12 weeks ago, a couple months back? In June, the Lord set him free from 54 years of alcoholism, where he has not had a drop since. So we are praising God for that transformation. Absolutely. Absolutely. We turn our attention now to the book of Romans. We are in Romans 1, verses 8 through 17 this morning. If you were here with us last week, I introduced you to the author of Romans, who was a murdering terrorist who tortured Christians, a man by the name of Saul. If you have not read Acts 7 through the end of the book of Acts, I highly encourage you to do that. It's the story of how the murdering terrorist become, became the missionary and the apostle Paul. So if you haven't yet, please go read that. I don't know how fast you read, if it takes 30 minutes or an hour and a half, doesn't matter. Just find some time during the week to acquaint yourself with that. I think you'll be really encouraged if you see the power of God at work in this man's Saul life who became Paul. And if you would read it, you would discover that Saul encountered grace from our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Jesus decided to make Saul a very, very important person to him. And we have to say, knowing what Saul was up to, sure, he was a hotshot lawyer, Ivy League educated, all of this stuff, powerful, influential, lots of money, all of that. But Jesus showed up, and we have to say it was grace. The favor that he showed him was not merited because we know what Saul was up to. He was torturing jailing, killing Christians to get them to renounce their faith. And yet, Jesus gives him grace. He shows up. He makes Saul a very, very important person in his sight. He gives him grace, undeserved favor. And for Paul, Saul, that changed everything. It changed his life. For, from that point on, Saul could no longer be named Saul. He was forever changed by the grace of Jesus. He had to change his name. That, that, that guy Saul was, was dead and gone. Now under the grace and favor of King Jesus, he was forever changed, an entirely new creation. To the point that he went from persecuting and torturing people that follow Jesus to he cannot stop proclaiming the name of Jesus to anyone who would listen. And that's the author of Romans. That's what we talked about last week. We learned what happened and how he was forever changed. This week, I'd like to look at Romans 1, 8 through 17, and I want to dissect and ask the question, what, was, what powered Paul's transformation? What powered Paul's transformation? Now, as your pastor, as one of them, I am very encouraged at what God is up to here at Crossroads Napoleon. 
God is up to something in many of your lives. There is power being unleashed in many of your lives. Many lives here are being transformed. People are growing up and living into their new identity, become more and more mature, and that's why Crossroads exists. Contrary to what Joy might think, I'm not up here every week just because I like to hear myself think, right? I pick on Joy because sometimes she's picked back, and I, I like that, but I'm not up here just because I like to hear myself talk, right? No, I'm up here every week and the leaders and the pastors of this church, we do what we do because we want you to receive the power of the gospel. We want the saints, that's you all, we want you equipped to do the work of the ministry. That's living a life transformed by the power of Jesus in obedience to Jesus from a deep and freeing faith that you're proclaiming it to others. You're helping others get found and get free along with you. That's what's happening in many lives here at this church. But... It's not happening in everyone's life. I say that not not to shame anyone or not to point fingers. I just want to ask the question, what's the difference? What's the the difference between someone who's who's being transformed by the power of the gospel and someone else who comes and and hears but but maybe isn't, isn't experiencing that power of transformation? What's the difference? And I want to look with you at Romans 1 through uh, verses 8 through 17 because I think we discover in these verses the recipe for transformation. I think we discover the difference. And not only do we discover the recipe for transformation, we discover the results of that transformation as well. So we're going to work through these verses together. I see the recipe for transformation coming through verses 10 through 16 and then the results of that transformation coming through uh, verses 8 and 9. So we're actually going to work backwards through the text this morning because I think it it preaches a little bit better that way. But as we do that, I'll just invite you to be the judge for yourself. Have you truly experienced the power of the gospel to transform, to be transforming? Have you experienced the power of the gospel, or are you in need of a personal revival? And just let me encourage you, if you determine that you are in need of greater freedom or greater transformation, Jesus has done everything required to release that power into your life. All you have to do is receive it by faith and keep on receiving it. Folks, this is not a a message that's meant to discourage or again point fingers that we're not shaming anyone. This is a message to help you find power, the power of God to live found and to live free. And so to get started this morning, I just want to pray for us, and I want to invite the Holy Spirit to give each and every one of us a Damascus Road experience like he gave to our brother Saul together. So let's pray, and then we'll read the text together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have not given us a book of dead religious rules. Thank you that you have not given us a dead religion. You, through the power of Jesus' death and resurrection and the Holy Spirit that you promised to give to us have given us a relationship. If we meet Jesus like Saul met, met Jesus on that road to Damascus, we will be forever changed. I pray that none of us, Lord, would have dead religion this morning, but that we would encounter the risen Christ and you would set to work on transforming us for our good and our joy and your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'll be reading from Romans 1, verses 8 through 17. I'm going to be reading in the NLT. If you're wondering, man, Levi, he kind of jumps around translations. What's up with that? Sometimes I read from the NIV. Sometimes it's the ESV. This morning it's the NLT. I typically read, when I'm prepping for a sermon, I read in several different translations because I think some of them say it better. 
and some of them are a little bit more easy to understand than others. And so if you're wondering what the, the method to the madness is, why do I read from this one and not that one? I pick the one that I think is the most clear for the day that I'm preaching on. If that frustrates some of you who are OCD and wish I'd just stick with one, I'm not sorry. And I would invite you to get your cell phone out and uh, pick the translation <laughs> in the little app there. You can get it on your phone, all right? So let's read it together. I hope that you're encouraged. Romans 1, 8 through 17 in the NLT this morning. Paul writes this. He says, Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the, well, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come to, at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes for all people, the Jew first and the Gentile, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Not good works, not church attendance, not having all our spiritual ducks in a row and having a right uh, systematic theology. From start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. All right, let's work backwards through the text this morning. The first thing I want you to notice is the recipe for transformation. If you've been around Crossroads for a bit, hopefully it hasn't taken that long, you won't be surprised to discover that the key component to transformation in your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul outlines for us what that gospel is. In verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of this good news. It's good news about Christ. What about Christ? Well, Christ has brought the power of God to work, saving everyone who believes, for all people. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, how we can come before the Father in grace, knowing that we are very, very important and special people, that when he looks down upon us, it's not with scolding or disappointment, but because of Jesus, his eyes light up, and he says, come on over here, son or daughter, I'm glad to see you. Grace makes us right with God by faith. Again, not by works so that no one can boast, but by Jesus, by faith. It's through faith in Christ that a righteous person has life. Paul says the gospel is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It's power. Friends, the gospel is not merely words that we nod our head along to and agree. That's part of it, but that's the head part. It's not the heart part. We need the heart part as well. It's not just a concept or a list of facts or a theory. As Tim Keller points out in his commentary on Romans, he says in the gospel, word and power come together. 
The message of the gospel is what God has done and will continue to do for us. Paul says the gospel is power. He says it doesn't bring power. It doesn't bring power. It doesn't have power, but it actually is the power of God. The gospel message is actually the power of God in written and declared form. It lifts people up. It transforms. It changes things. When it's outlined, when it's explained, when we reflect about it, uh, on it, when we talk about it one to another at church or in small groups or alongside the road or put it on our doorposts or a sticky note, when we reflect upon it, that gospel message brings power. It's released. And what does this power do? He tells us it saves. It saves. It finds and frees the lost. It turns terrorists into missionaries. It transforms Again, from Tim Keller, he says the gospel's power is seen in its ability to completely change minds, to get you to do a 180, change hearts, change your life orientation. You thought you were going to do this, God says do this, you change, you do this. Life orientation, it changes our understanding of everything that happens, the way we relate to one another. We used to shun, run away from, now in the gospel we forgive, we give grace, we move towards our enemies in love. Most of all, It is powerful because it does what no other power on earth can do. It saves us. It reconciles us to God and guarantees us a place in the kingdom of God forever. We learned last week about this. The message of the gospel brings grace, which leads to joy in our heart and peace, right? He says, may the gospel give grace and give peace. We talked about this. Grace, grace lets us know that when we come before God, he approves of us. He's glad to see us. We are very, very special people in his life, in his eye, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done. So when we come in, we can always come confidently and know that he's got love and affection and approval for us. That's grace. That brings joy into our heart, a high energy feeling. It feels good when other people are glad to see us. The gospel says God is always glad to see us. Grace leads to joy, and that joy leads to peace. We can't live on the mountaintop always, right? We don't have high energy all the time. Peace is that low energy can contented feeling where we know that because we're in God and connected to God that everything even our worst situation is going to be okay we can have rest in that that's what the gospel brings now imagine if we could wrap not just our minds but our hearts around that message for a second imagine with me think think with me about the apostle Paul for a minute Saul right Saul was making his way through life trying to prove himself He was anxiously striving for more fame and fortune, trying to live up to his family name. If you remember, he came from a wealthy, prominent Jewish family, but also Roman citizen family. He had fame and fortune, power, important people. So he's trying to live up into that identity, maintain the appearances, so to speak. Because of that, because he bought into his family identity, he pursued power, fame, fortune. He was more crafty than others. He worked harder than all the other students. He was willing to do whatever it took to keep that power, to keep that fame, to get more and more. He was successful, sure, but friends, he wasn't free. No, he wasn't free. He was a slave slave to fame and fortune and the power that came from making a name for himself. It didn't matter if the name he was making for himself was terrorist, Saul of Tarsus, 
as long as his name carried with it notoriety. He was living up and into his family identity. More power, more importance, success, hot shot lawyer that nobody messed with. Then he heard the gospel, the message of Jesus. Jesus showed up and he told him, Saul, none of the accomplishments that you are doing are worth a thing eternally. In fact, all that you're doing is making a name for yourself. All that you're doing is wrong. You think you're serving me? You're not. You're actually serving Satan. And Jesus shows up not to condemn him, but to set his favor upon Saul. He made Saul a very, very special person in his sight. He forgave Saul for persecuting both him and his church. Jesus showed up and gave Paul a new identity. He said, Paul, you don't have to prove yourself to me. You don't have to prove yourself or pursue power or fortune or fame any longer. Rather, Jesus comes and he reminds him, I've done all of that work already. It's finished. And because of my work, Saul, you can now know the approval of the Father. I believe that's what Saul was after most. He just wanted to know that the Father, God, he approved of him. Jesus gave him this. On the road to Damascus, Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I died for you. I approve of you. Stop persecuting me. Instead, come follow me and live in my love and approval. I've got grace for you. I've got peace for you. Jesus gave Paul a new identity. He didn't have to be a slave to the never-ending pursuit of more power, more fortune, more fame, more pleasure. He could just be in Jesus and rest knowing that everything that needs doing, Christ has already done. All Paul had to do was believe. Believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Believe that Jesus was alive and that Jesus wanted Paul to live his life in relationship with him, going wherever Jesus said, doing whatever Jesus wanted, in the assurance that everything would be okay because Jesus would be with him wherever he went. That church is the gospel, and it is the power for transformation in your life. The gospel says that you and I are more sinful than we have ever dared to imagine, but God is more faithful, kind, and grace-filled to us in Jesus than we ever dared to believe. And if we would but trust and depend upon Christ as our Lord and Savior, believing that Jesus has made us new, we're not our past mistakes, we're not our future failures, We aren't the good works that we can do or the amount of success that we can have. We aren't our depression or our anxious thoughts. No, because of Jesus, we can be made into princes and princesses, children of the King of Heaven, with an inheritance that is destined to come our way. We aren't worthless. You might feel worthless. The gospel says you are not worthless. In Jesus, we are declared priceless. How do you put a price on God? Jesus paid it so that you and I could know life. We could live with him. It's a beautiful message. It's also an offensive message. The gospel says you and I are so sinful sinful and shame-filled that we are such spiritual failures that the only way for us to gain salvation is for it to be a complete and utter gift. Nothing you and I can do can ever earn it. Our best work can never earn it. The gospel says there is nothing worthwhile in us 
that would move God to pay that priceless price. The only reason that God moved towards us was not because there's anything worthwhile in us, but because of who our God is. He's that good. He's that compassionate. Moved by his compassion alone, he determined to pay that infinite price so that you and I could know him. This church is offensive to those of us who think we're pretty nice and decent people. The gospel says you are not that important. You're not as good as you might think. In fact, it's way worse than you imagine. That's offensive. And the gospel says that on our best day, our best works and best deeds, even the nicest person alive, apart from Jesus Christ, still deserves hell for eternity. That's how wicked we are. Nothing apart from the death of God would or could ever save us. This too, church, is offensive to a culture who thinks that people are mostly good. The gospel says you're not, and that's offensive. The gospel says there is only one way to heaven, and the only way to find peace with God is through trusting and depending and having faith upon God's Son, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus that you can know rest and peace with God and know of an assurance of heaven. To a world who thinks all roads lead to heaven and people can find God in their own way, this too is offensive. The gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus who did not come conquering and destroying victorious. He came suffering and serving. This tells us that if we want to follow Jesus, the road set before us is not one of conquering and destroying It's one of suffering and serving. This too is offensive. To a people people who want salvation to be an easy life of health, wealth, and prosperity, to a people who want their lives to be mostly safe and mostly comfortable, the gospel comes and says, hey, come suffer for Jesus. Come lay your life down for Jesus. This too is offensive. The church... Paul says, I am not ashamed of this gospel message. I'm not ashamed. It's offensive, but I'm not offended. I am eager to proclaim what God has done. This is what saved me. It's what gave me a new identity. It's what shapes my thoughts and career choices and all of my lifestyle. Knowing the person of Jesus has forever changed my life for the better. Because of this gospel, I am no longer Saul, a murdering terrorist. Now I am a free servant of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of peace. It's offensive, but Paul says, I'm not offended. I am eager to proclaim this message. And this message, church, is the core foundational ingredient in our recipe for transformation. See, there is not a problem in your life that cannot be rectified by the power of this message. Do you believe that? Do you believe that at the root of every sin, at the root of every problem in your life is a, is a rejection of this message? It's unbelief. It's a result of us trying to be our own savior saying, yeah, no thanks God, I got this. Paul says we need to believe in the gospel. The gospel says we have a need that we cannot meet. You and I can't. 
only Jesus can. And the gospel says Jesus did and he will for you if you put your faith in him. He's got a new identity for you. He has love for you. He has only approval for you. He has help for you, power for you, joy for you, rest unending for you. He has what you need, all you need. And all he needs from you is for you to but come to him in faith, which looks like living a life with him and his people in believing loyalty. You're on team Jesus, no matter what. Whatever you say, I'll follow. Yes, Lord. Churches, if you receive this gospel in word and in power through the person of Jesus Christ, everything will change. It will. How could it not? Transformation will occur. Maybe not overnight. For Paul, it was three days. And then 20 years. And this is why I want you to read Acts 7 and following. You will discover that Paul didn't always have it figured out. He wasn't perfect after day three, after he met Jesus. It took him a while to figure things out. Because when God calls us, he doesn't give us the roadmap. He says, come on this journey with me and I'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. Occasionally, Paul thought he was going one way. God said, no, I want you to go this way. Paul had a separation from a man in ministry, a friend. They broke apart for many years before they were reconciled. He didn't have all these rosy relationships all the time. We read about one time in Acts where Paul, apparently he liked to hear himself preach too. He preached so long that a man fell asleep, fell out of the window and died, right? Now I know I can be kind of boring sometimes, but I don't have that on my resume yet, right? Right? He raised him for a new life. It was no big deal. Resurrected, right? Pretty sweet. My point is this. Paul wasn't perfect, but he was forever changed when he met Jesus, and he was forever changing for the better in Jesus. He tells us, I am not ashamed to tell others about this message. It's what's changed me. It is what is changing me. He's eager to tell others about it. My question for you is, are you? Are you offended by the gospel, ashamed by it, or are you eager to tell others about Jesus? See, the recipe for transformation says that if you've received the gospel in faith, you know the power of transformation in your life, that you will be eager to tell others about it. You'll be eager to tell others about it. Church, if you've received grace from God for no reason of your doing, how could you withhold grace from the people around you? You can't. You can't. If you've received grace, you will be made into a conduit of grace and of forgiveness for others, towards others. Paul says, I'm eager to tell others about the grace that I've received. I'm eager to give it. I'm eager to offer what God has given me. I've become a conduit of this grace. And as he dispenses this grace, it builds up and bolsters his faith. I'm convinced that many of us don't know the power of transformation because we're not eager to share what God has given to us. We're not even eager to proclaim what we've received. Jesus told us it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Blessing comes to those who give away what they've been given. We're given the metaphor of living water in the scripture. A river, river that flows is said to be living water. It brings life. It's a conduit flowing. Grace in, grace out. Forgiveness in, forgiveness out. There's life. There's transformation. But a stagnant pond is a stinking breeding ground for disease. If you want to know the power of the gospel, believe in Jesus, start talking to Jesus regularly, and start sharing with others what he tells you. Your faith will be vibrant. It will be transformational. 
You won't be perfect, but your faith will be built up and you will be growing. Paul says the power of the gospel transformed him. He met Jesus, he believed upon Jesus, it made him eager to share with others what Jesus was telling him. And as he told others, his faith was made more real, he was built up. Along with that, his faith made him eager to get together with others, to serve and to be served in community. Church, if I said it once, I've said it a thousand times. When you are saved by Jesus, when you are found, you are not saved alone in isolation. You are saved into a family. Into a family. God has a people for you to be a part of. When we are saved by faith alone, our faith will never keep us lonely. You need the church. You do. The church needs you. We need your service, and you need the service of others. If the Apostle Paul needed encouragement from fellow believers, you can bet that you and I do as well. Fellowship, friendship with church people, it is vital to us experiencing the transformational power of the gospel. Church, the gospel is not a religion. It's a relationship to God and to God's people. It's in the fellowship of believers where we learn to carry one another's burdens, where we can see faith lived out. We can see what it looks like to trust and obey in the lives of others. It's where we are reminded and we are able to remind others of the truth of the gospel. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus raised, it is done. And now you and I can know grace and peace in him. Again, if you wonder why you're not experiencing the power of the gospel in your life, I want you to ask yourself, am I eager to be with God's people? Do you regularly connect with fellow believers in deep and meaningful ways where life is shared? Have you experienced the reality that life is better in circles rather than rows? This is important. What we're doing right now is important, but it's not enough. My hope and prayer is that each and every one of you will find fridge friendships here. If you don't know what that is, I've talked about it before. Growing up, I had a couple family members and friends that I could go over to their house and we we had such a deep level of friendship. We were like family. I could open their fridge and it wasn't weird, right? You need that level of friendship with some of the folks that you worship with. You need to find your people because that is where transformation happens. That's where we learn the one another's. That's where we can encourage. You need friends that, that can walk with you and stick with you and be committed to you, even if you do or say stupid stuff, that they will still love you because they're united to you in Jesus and they will speak truth and love in grace and you can do the same for them. You need this. I need this. I just did a funeral this last week at the graveside. I was reacquainted with a, a friend of mine that we'd lost touch. He's a couple years behind me in high school. This gentleman has lived some life. I don't mean that in a good way. He's raised in the church, but I think it's fair to say that he would tell you he had the word of God, but his life was devoid, devoid of the powerful transformation of the gospel. He knew the facts, but he hadn't have yet, yet have the relationship until recently. Do you know what happened? He was still going to church for this whole time, living like hell every other day in the week and going to church on Sunday. Just recently, a year ago, my brother and a friend of his started a Bible study to reach out to some of these people, to to some of these guys who were on the fringe, who knew it in the head but weren't living it every other day. They said, hey, come, let's study the Bible together. 
This guy was reluctant, but he started to be a part of this group. I said, what are you studying? He said, we're going through a commentary on Galatians. To be honest with you, I don't really like it that much. It's got a lot of big words in it. When I read it, I don't really understand what I'm reading, but when I come to group and we talk about it, I understand. I understand. He said, let me tell you what I'm learning. I used to go to church and I expect everybody to look down on me and judge me. I used to look up at, at guys like your brother and, and, and the other guy that, and the leader, and I used to think I could never be as godly as them, so why even try? But in this group, we're learning, we're learning what the word has to say, but we're also sharing our hearts, and I'm learning that those guys, they struggle with the same stuff I do, and Jesus still loves them. I think Jesus can still love me. He said, I'm learning how to live this thing out, and now when I go to church, I'm not expecting judgment or condemnation. I'm expecting to be built up in the faith and I never miss a group because these are my guys. My brother called me last week and he said, hey, I'm thinking about having communion. You think that's okay for me to lead communion? I said, are you kidding me? God said, as often as we come together, do this in remembrance of me. You don't gotta be a pastor to lead this. He said, all right. He bought some cheap wine and and some donuts. (laughs) And they had communion in their group. And this gentleman at that graveside, he said, I'll tell you what, that was the most life-transforming and powerful communion I have ever been a part of. My band of brothers, remembering the death and resurrection of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He paid for all my past stuff. He promises to pay for all my future stuff. And he's given me a community that I can be a part of that will hold me up when I can't hold myself up any longer. Church, if you don't have deep and meaningful friendships here, the transforming power of the gospel is only gonna take you so far. Jesus is enough, but he saves you into a family. And you don't have to get into one of our small groups, but at least start praying that God would give you some friends, a band of brothers or sisters that you can get together with regularly to remind one another about the grace and peace that is found only in Jesus Christ. If you start doing that, your life will transform. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Lastly, Paul says, being, he's being transformed by the gospel and because of that he prays often. And we don't need to church this last one up, right? We don't need to church it up. Prayer is just talking to Jesus. Can you talk? Of course you can. Then you can pray. If you've met Jesus and are being transformed by Jesus, you talk to Jesus often and always. Why? Because the gospel presents us with a need that we can never meet and only Jesus can. That's the recipe and some of the results of the gospel. But what's the end result of this gospel transformation? What's the goal? We want people talking. Verse eight, your faith is talked about all over the world. Paul says to these Romans, he says, people are talking about your faith and the transformation that you've experienced. We're still talking about the power of the gospel that transformed the life of a murdering terrorist Saul into Paul, an apostle, evangelist, and missionary. Friends, that is the power of the gospel. It will change you. You will be eager to proclaim why you've been changed with others. You will be eager to regularly fellowship with other believers, to serve and to be served by others. You will pray often and always to Jesus because you know that without him you are nothing. And as you do these things, compelled by faith in Jesus, people will talk. Are people talking about your faith in Transformation Church? They can be. I want to conclude this morning by telling you that people are talking about our youth. 
Seth's been doing a great job. He's just enlisted some new leaders into our youth group. And I've heard them talking about the quality and caliber of youth that we have here. I heard one of them through Seth say that these kids are so much farther, so much more mature in Christ than I ever was at their age, than I am right now. People are talking about the teenagers here at Crossroads. I want to commend the parents of those students. Thank you for practicing Deuteronomy. When you get up, you're talking about your faith. It's not a list of facts. It's not a religion. Jesus is a real person that makes a difference in your life. You've made the commitment to when you get up, to when you walk along the road, you put sticky notes on your mirrors and on your door frames with scripture. You are talking to your kids about Jesus and it is making a difference. You have made a commitment to be a regular part of a local church family, to be surrounded in fellowship with a band of brothers or sisters in Christ and it is making a difference. Thank you parents for teaching your children the ways of the Lord and raising up another generation that will tell of his marvelous and wonderful deeds and the power of his gospel to transform lives. Thank you. To the students here, yeah. (laughs) To the students here, way to go. Way to put your faith in Jesus. Way to spend time in his word. Way to hang out with friends who love him. Way to stand up for what he calls you to do. Way to live out your faith. Keep it up. Keep regularly together with other believers. Keep proclaiming. Keep talking about Jesus. And as you transform and you continue to transform, know that people will talk more and they will ask you, why are you different? Why do you act this way? Why do you have no hope when you should have hope? And when they do, tell them about Jesus. Be eager to proclaim the gospel. May we never, ever be ashamed of the gospel message. May we all be eager to proclaim it to others. And may they receive the same power that we receive to live transforming lives in Christ. May the lost get found and the found live free. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you for making a way when there was no way. Lord Jesus, I know I should be offended by the gospel, but I'm not. It's the power of God to save everyone who believes. It's exclusive. It's only by Jesus. There is no other way. It confronts me in my depth of depravity and tells me I'm not that important and I'm not that worthwhile, and yet you set your favor on me in this place anyways. And for that I say, Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your peace. I pray, Father, that each and every one of us, that none of us would be ashamed of this message, that we would be eager to proclaim it, that we would be eager to be in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I don't care what that looks like, but I pray, Lord, I ask by the power of your spirit, you would give every single person here at least three other friends who they regularly talk to on the phone, they get coffee with, they call one another, they have each other in their homes, that you would develop fridge friendships here with three other people for every single person here. That they would have a band of brothers and sisters that they could say, these are my people, come hell or high water, in Jesus, they will tell me the truth, it will be in love and grace, they will stick with me no matter what. I pray that each and every person would discover that here in community here. That our faith would not keep us lonely, but that we would have family here where we could encourage one another 
carry one another's a burden and remind one another of the truth of the gospel message. As we do this, Lord, by faith, in fellowship with you and with others, transform us. Transform us in such a radical way that the whole world talks about little church in Henry County and these crazy Christians. When they ask us, Lord, help us to be eager to proclaim the good news, the gospel, the power of God that works in everyone's life who believes. It's for your glory and our joy we pray. Amen. So as we were singing that song, I just got the sense in my heart, I believe this is the Holy Spirit, that there's a large number of you feeling condemned for not having the level of transformation that you would like to have. And I just get the sense that the devil is saying, you're a garbage Christian. You are not who Levi was talking about. You're not this, you're not that. You're feeling condemned. Let me just in the name of Jesus say that that spirit can get the heck out of here in his name and by his blood. Can you get honey to flow out of a rock, church? Can you put manna on the ground? No, that's the point of the gospel. You can't do anything, but Jesus did for you. Go live there in that truth, not I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I'm not a good enough parent, my kids aren't where they're supposed to be. Set all of that stuff behind you. Look to the king. He said, I have done it for you. Come not to be condemned. Come in grace and love. You are approved. I have favor for you because when I look at you, I see my son all over you and he's beautiful and he's righteous. If you and I can live there, church, not in the condemnation. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring condemnation. I came to bring freedom for the sick and healing for the sick. If you're feeling sick and unhealthy this morning, praise God. You've got a doctor you can go to. He's got what you need. Let's go to him in faith, okay? In faith. And we can tell the devil to go to hell. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. Lord Jesus, by your power and your grace and because of your death and resurrection and your blood, we command the spirit of the evil one to leave this place and to take his condemnation with him. We stand in the rock. We stand by faith upon Jesus and he declared it is finished. Lord God, would you pour out your love on this place? May we know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love that is ours in Christ Jesus. May we know that no failure of ours, no inability to conjure up the want to, to have our devos or spend time in small group or tell others about faith or none of that, Lord, will ever separate us from the love that is ours in Christ Jesus. Not height, not depth, not width, not even the power of hell, no spiritual force of darkness, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from this love that is ours in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, may you pour that love upon us in power. May we know the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ and may that grace forever be transforming us into the new creations that you desire to make us into. We can't, Lord. You can, you did, and you will. 
It's for your glory that we pray in Christ's most holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.